everybody and welcome here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios. Hanging out with you where sports meets life. Appreciate you being here every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Appreciate your patience this morning as we get set and ready to go here on this TGIF edition of Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. And for those of you that grew up when I grew up, and I'm not that old, I'm in my 30s, but for those of you that remember TGIF, big shout out to back back in the day when Friday night was that night to rush home, get home, get to see Boy Meets World, Full House, Step by Step, Dinosaurs. What else is on there? Perfect Strangers. A lot of great shows that used to be there on TGIF, and I miss it. I miss it like crazy. So uh, excited to be here with you, excited to be able to spend TGIF with you, be your TGIF show, and uh, hopefully bring you, you know, some of that some of that love that those of you that remember TGIF, you know, I could give you some of that, right? Because we used to watch those shows and what did we get from them? We got positivity. We got life lessons. We got family. We got friendship. We got love. We got support. We got laughter. So looking to bring all that to you this morning. And I appreciate y'all for being here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets that thing called life. We're about to have some fun this morning. And we got a jam-packed show inside of the Cafe Kubal studio. So wherever you are hanging out with us, thank you so much for being with us on YouTube.com and Facebook.com, both backslash DT, as well as on WakeUpCallDT.Podbean.com. We appreciate you so very much for hanging out with us where sports meets life. And, of course, on Facebook.com backslash LiveNowDT as well. So however you're connected with the show, we thank you so much for being with us here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life inside of these Cafe Kubal studios. Like I said, we got a ton of great stuff coming up for you this morning, and I am ecstatic to be able to bring this to you. So we're going to start things off on Wake Up Call this morning, as we always do on a Friday morning, with the annoying moment of the week, AMOW. So we're going to talk about the annoying moment of the week. If you have an annoying moment, send it over to me. I want to hear yours. So... What do you have as your annoying moment of the week? Is there something that got on your nerves this week? I'd love to hear it. I'd love to love to get to know you a little bit better as we as we learn about uh, your annoying moment of the week. So if you got one, send it and would love to hear what it is. You never know. We could share it on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. There's always a possibility that you could get a little shout out. So uh, make sure you send those over to us this morning if you got one. And we're going to be doing the Annoying Moment of the Week, proudly presented by Carvel DeWitt, 4322 East Genesee Street in DeWitt, New York. It is what happy tastes like. So we'll have some fun with that this morning, and that'll be coming up in just a moment here. Then we're going to jump into lead, learn, evolve, ad lib, and deliver. That's learn, evolve, ad lib, and deliver is the acronym for what we're going to be talking about and what we do here, proudly presented by Chick-fil-A Cicero and Chick-fil-A Clay which is LEAD, like I said, the acronym for Learn, Evolve, AdLib, and Deliver. Today's topic is what makes you smile. So be thinking about that for the next couple minutes before we get into that conversation on what truly makes you smile. So we'll be discussing that, and then we'll get into our Top Dog of the Week announcement. And uh, spoiler alert, it has something to do with the NCAA Tournament Sweet 16. So I got some Top Dogs of the Week. We're going to be talking about them coming up here very soon here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. And so that's going to be fun this morning to be able to bring that to you. And then we're going to round out the show. We're going to continue to talk about the NCAA tournament. That's why 
the NCAA logo is there. And I do want to shout out Rhodey. I want to shout out those Rhodey Rams for the uh, women's basketball team. My fantastic and wonderful friend, Tammy Reese, the head coach of the Rhode Island Rams inside of the A-10, advanced to the Super 16 for the women's NIT, and their season uh, finished up last night. So I just want to always, always send my love and my support to Tammy. She's a fantastic person, fantastic friend, fantastic coach and motivator. I just, I love, I love seeing my friends eat. I love seeing them win. So I'm so proud of Tammy, so proud of Rhodey. Big shout out to Rhode Island, big shout out to Tammy, and uh, much love. So I know that it's uh, it's bittersweet, but God bless y'all. I send y'all my love, and I look forward to talking with Tammy soon. So a lot of great stuff coming up. NCAA tournament, we'll talk about it throughout the show. And then we'll get into my conversation with Brian Kersey, who's going to be joining me on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. So very, very excited to have Brian join the broadcast here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, the ACC coordinator of men's basketball officiating. Going to be talking about the calls and non-calls of the tournament. We had Mike Kitts on earlier in the week. He got his thoughts, and now we get to see through the eyes of yet another official and have some fun with him. So Brian Kersey is going to keep it official and join me in just a little bit around 10.15 a.m. Eastern time this morning. So a lot of great stuff coming up, and we're going to start things off with the Annoying Moment of the Week, proudly presented by Carvel DeWitt on 4322 East Genesee Street. Let's go. The annoying moment of the week, proudly presented by Carvel DeWitt, 4322 East Genesee Street in DeWitt, New York. It is what happy tastes like. And it's time for us to have that discussion on the annoying moment of the week. So my annoying moment of the week, folks, listen, life is a beautiful thing. And I appreciate so many different things. So this is not like a bash session by any stretch of the imagination. This is a conversation. And so one of my annoying moments of the week is, I mean, it's it's got to be the medical bills that we receive, right? Because, you know, how many times do we question or do we even question and we just look at it and go, ah, well, we got to pay it. But some of these bills are absolutely positively outrageous, just outrageous. And I, I got a bill recently, I had to do a copay and it was the first time I had gone into this office. So I'm doing this copay, whatever. And they're like, yeah, it's going to be 70 bucks. And I was like, all right, 70 bucks. Like that's a little steep for a copay, especially when it's under my insurance. But okay, you know, like I'll pay it because they they took my insurance. So I was really confused. So I, I was like, all right, well, you know, whatever. I got to pay this, but at least it's paid. It's done. They send me another bill and they're like, or they call me up and they're like, hey, you owe us 90 something dollars. I was like, 90 something dollars. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, no. <laughs> so, and I just remember, you know, being on the phone with them this this week and, you know, getting getting this information that like you I owe them this money. And it's it's just absolutely asinine and just crazy that it would be two hundred dollars. And I was talking to them about it because 
you know, for those of you that have been listening to the show, I had injured a vocal cord and, you know, like my jaw and a bunch of different things been going on. So my body's been trying to kind of, you know, heal itself and it's hard to heal when you're doing all this work and whatnot. So a lot of things, you know, have, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not easy to rehab your body when, especially when it comes to your voice and whatnot, when you're constantly using it. So here I am going, okay, you know, I went to these people, they're going to help me out. It's going to be great. And now I'm sitting here going like, am I going to go back to these people? Because look at this, $200, $200 for like a, an initial consultation and minimal work of kind of like, I don't want to say minimal work, but you know, just basically starting things off 200 bucks. And that's crazy to me. And it's like, oh, well, you know, we build your insurance and then we thought you met your deductible and we build it. And by the way, let's talk about health insurance for a second. I know I brought this up before, but OK, if I'm paying you almost four hundred dollars a month, my deductible should be little to nothing. With this New York state of health BS that we have, my I'm paying almost four hundred a month. My deductible is over five thousand dollars. Now, in the normal world of human beings and actually caring about people, health insurance companies, I am talking to you. In that world, there's either a $5,000 deductible or $400 a month. There's not both. There's, if it's $200 a month, then maybe the deductible is $5,000. If it's $400, then the deductible is $2,500, something like that. So, you know, to me, it's just crazy because normally it's the deductible or, or the premium, I should say. The premium, I'm calling it the deductible. My apologies on that. The premium 400 and then, you know, getting to that, getting to that money. So you either pay whatever a month and then, you know, you pay your deductible. No, I was right. I just confused myself because health insurance is confusing. But $5,000 for my deductible, 400 a month. It's ridiculous. By the way, they charged me too much and they had to reimburse me the money that they charged me. It took them three months to figure out how to credit me $86.03. It took them three months to figure that out. Three months, okay? So, I mean, to me, it's just, it is. It's asinine. It's totally asinine. And the, the price of these bills, $200 to consult me on my, vo on my voice, 200 bucks. Am I Mariah Carey? I mean, <laughs> I mean it's, it's, it's crazy. So that's one of my annoying moments of the week is just the price of stuff and ridiculousness of that. And then, you know, beyond that, I would say, you know, one of my, I, I would bring this back, you know, let's, let's run it back. I think, you know, I, I, I put up a post yesterday and, and nobody had a response to it. And maybe that's because there is no response to, to make to it. But I, I put up a post about the fact that I said, what's the best part of dating in 2023? And then I wrote, that's not a rhetorical question. I'm, genuinely searching for an answer because there is no fun in it. People are crazy. They're nuts. They make no sense. And not, I mean, literally, if people have a good time with you, well, I'm scared of going forward. And if people are super weird, oh, they, you know, they like you. And, and, and it's just, it's so, it's so crazy. It is so crazy to date in 2023. I mean, I am a lover of love and I will always I don't want to be in love to be in love. I want to find the right person. And I think in the past, I was just trying to be in love. So you try to make everything love where now I'm actually trying to find the person that gives me that love and not just searching for love. 
it's so hard. I understand <laughs> why why there was flavor of love. I understand why my man Flavor of Flav had to go do a show to find it, you know? And and uh <laughs> I mean it's 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 nuts. It is so nuts. And I feel worse for women because I'm 37. So if a woman's 37 years old, she doesn't have kids and she's dating in today's world, which is psychotic. She's thinking in her head, like, I want to have kids. And I got like a ticking window here. I probably got like a year or two that I could do this. So, you know, the amount of frustration that I feel as a man is probably compounded you know, and, and times a million for a woman. And I feel horrible about that, you know, that, that women have to think about like their time clock and all this stuff. But it's, here's the thing, you know, dating somebody with kids, I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with it. Now, I know some of you listening are like, Dan, where are you going with this now? But here's the thing, it's personal preference. I don't have a problem dating someone with kids because I love kids. I feel like I'm really good with kids. I've always been that way because I'm a big kid. So I feel like dating with kids, like dating somebody that has kids, then, you know, I'm OK with that. But what I'm not OK with is I want to have my own child, at least one. And not because I don't care about your kids, but because I've waited my whole life to try and, you know, have one of my own. And so just because you've had some along the way doesn't mean that I should be cut off from that. And I think when somebody says to you, hey, you know, if we get if we're together, then, you know, you're you're going to parent me, you know, you're going to parent my kids, you're going to be here with my kids. OK, well, that's fine. And I'm OK with that. But in that same respect, can we look at me having kids, too? Because if I'm going to look after your kids, then what do you, you know, what are you going to give me? Where's the compromise? Where's where's the connection? I want to have kids. You already have kids. If I'm willing to take care of your kids, will you be open to having kids with me? And some women shut down completely. If I tell a woman I want to have kids, whether or not she has kids, that's the end of the conversation. Oh, I tell them I want to have kids. That's the end of the conversation. Now, again, I have no problem dating someone who has kids when it comes to the kids, you know, and getting to know them and being around them because I love being around kids because I'm a big kid. So I like that. The part I don't like is is the baby daddy part. That's the part that that I don't like. And Kevin Hart made a joke about it years ago when he said, you know, you were always kind of thinking when's going to be that day where the baby daddy's in the bushes and runs out and tries to stab me when I'm when I'm walking up to the doorstep of my girlfriend. And and that's the thing too is I'm not, I don't fear any man or woman. Yeah, I don't fear humanity. I just don't like drama. And so, I mean, I'm a comic relief is how I deal with it. But yeah, man, it's, it's so hard. I mean, I'm 37 years old and, and you got these women that like these women that are dating you, that are telling you what you need. Like one girl's like, Oh, I, you know, I love going out with you, this, that, whatever, but you want to have a baby. So you need to go date a woman who's like 25, 29, but I really like you, but you need to go find somebody else. Anytime a woman tells me like, you need to go find somebody better than me. That is, I could tell you this, folks, as 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 someone who's been in the game for a long time. If you date anybody who tells you to go find somebody else better than them, get out of that relationship because that person has low self-esteem. That person is warning you of the issues that are to come and you're not listening. So if somebody says to you, you need to leave, you need to go find somebody better than me. I'm trash. I'm garbage. If they start self-imploding, 
Pray for them, walk away. Pray for them, walk away. Don't wish bad on them, walk away. Walk away, walk away. So, you know, and I, and I'm kind of getting to a point here in the annoying moment of the week where I'm good with being single. You know, I'm good with that because it's crazy out there. And that's why it's my annoying moment of the week. And it has been many times because dating in today's world is so wacky. I mean, there are people that have a ton of like just crazy, crazy ways about them. And, you know, it's, it's nuts. So, I mean, I can honestly tell you that going out there in today's world, it's not fun. It's not fun. It's not exciting to go out and date in today's world by any stretch of the imagination. I applaud everybody who attempts to do it. I, you know, don't, I don't, I really genuinely, I don't enjoy it. Uh, it's not fun for me anymore. It's not exciting for me anymore. I get to meet new people every day doing what I do for a living. So people say, oh, you date, you know, nothing good happens out of it. At least you get to meet somebody new. Not, not these people. <laughs> so like, I mean, but, and they're not all bad. They're really not all bad. Honestly, there's been some really wonderful people that I've met along the way recently. It's just, it's, it, it's, it's like, where is the, you know, self-made, strong, you know, knows who she is woman, right? Because they're out there. I know they are. I know you ladies are out there killing it, but I haven't met y'all yet. And, you know, I meet the indecisive, don't know who they are, constantly confused, game playing, want to go back with their ex-boyfriend, never truly make any sense, have no respect for themselves or other people type of women. I don't meet the the women out there that are, that are you know, just killing it, right? And I respect that. And I tell people that all the time. They're like, oh, what you do for a living? What do you want a girl to just be on your arm while you go to all these events and this and that? No, I want to go to her events too. I want to be the eye candy some of the time, right? Because I want to be with a woman who knows who she is and knows what she's about. Now, I'm not wishing that we're so busy we don't see each other. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying I want to be with a woman who's out there killing it, doing her thing, who is independently proud of herself and happy because I don't want to be the only thing that makes her happy. I want her to be happy as who she is in her own skin because I'm all about that life. I am all about that life. What did uh, Greg say? That baby daddy element got to be interesting to deal with and navigate around. I'm sure it could work in theory. Yeah, in theory. Everything can work in theory, Greg. <laughs> the 2-3 zone works in theory. So I love that. I love that point. And I'm making a joke off of it. Not at you, but at the at the situation. Anything can work in theory, right? Anything. Anything can work in theory. In theory, I could get a bunch of cardboard, fashion it to my arms, and I could run really fast on a windy day and potentially fly and feel like I have wings in theory. Or I could go up in the air temporarily, hit the ground hard. It could not work at all. It could rip off. Or I could fly like 30,000 feet into the air. The wind takes me the right way. And now I'm flying and I don't know how to get down. So in theory, yes, cardboard wings can work. But and, and so can dating someone who has a baby daddy. But 
it's 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 a theory it's in theory it's all in situations and what i and it's not just me okay i have other friends that are out there dating right now it's not fun it's just not fun anymore to date because it's like i've met so many people who can't make up their mind who can't focus who are obsessed with social media who are always on their phone who have way too many rules who are too set in their ways, who have a long list of things that men have to meet before they can even talk to them, who, you know, don't want to have kids and this and that. So, I mean, there's when you meet somebody like whatever happened to life being life, like I didn't know I was going to move back to Syracuse when I was living in Florida. I didn't know I was going to move back to Syracuse. You know, if I told God, hey, guess what? Here's my list. This is what's going to happen. You know what I mean? They always say if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. But apparently. A lot of these people that I've dated haven't listened to that reality of if you want to make the Lord laugh, please tell the Lord your plans. And I'm not sitting here telling God my plans anymore. I'm in the sense of it's not like I'm not I don't have dreams and aspirations and goals. I do. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I'm not looking at God saying, you know, I got to meet this girl. She's got to be five two, dark hair, tan. You know, that's that's not. That's not reality. Right. Reality is she could be blonde. She could be Mexican. She could be Puerto Rican. She could be African-American. She could be Italian. She could be Irish. She could be whatever. Swedish. It doesn't matter because she's going to be who she's going to be. And that's reality. And, you know, and, and I've gone through that. I've gone through that in dating, you know, where. People have this list and. So I created an insane list to combat the list. And this being the annoying moment of the week, I made this like weird list of things that that a woman has to like or I won't talk to her anymore. One of them is she has to like watermelon because I feel like people that don't like watermelon are like serial killers. So I'm like, so, but I'm like, you got to like watermelon. If you had a choice between cheese Ritz crackers and peanut butter, you got to choose peanut butter. I just came up with really dumb things, really dumb things. And because the things I was getting were so dumb that I'm like, I'm gonna hit you with some dumb. Okay, I want you to hear how stupid this list sounds. So I'm gonna create my own dumb list and hear what you think about my dumb list. But you know, I mean, it is and when you hit it off with a woman, it's so flaky. It's so flaky. It's like they want to sell you on a product. And then that's it. You know, it's like they, there was one woman that told me she was on dating apps, not to date anybody, but just so people would tell her she's pretty. So when she was having a rough week, she would go on the dating app. She would see how many people told her she was pretty. And once she filled her tank up with ego boosters, she'd get off the app. What a narcissistic, serial killing type of mind. And, and you know what I mean? It's like, that is out there, right? Tell me I'm pretty. Tell I had one girl tell me that. She goes, tell me I'm pretty. Why can't you just tell me I'm pretty? I was like, well, I do tell you that you're beautiful, but I'm not going to tell you you're pretty on command. That's not how life works. But, you know, it's. It's so hard. And when you think you've gotten somewhere, you haven't gotten anywhere because people play games now. People play games now. And it's just not fun. Dating is not fun. I think dating and health insurance, my two annoying moments of the week, I think they're equal because the health insurance costs me money and I don't know why. And dating costs me money. And I also don't know why. With that being said, we'll take a step aside for a fast break. We'll be back on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora right after this. 
This has been the annoying moment of the week, proudly presented by Carvel DeWitt. Bring your significant other that is normal and kind and sweet and wonderful. Bring your kids, bring your grandparents, bring your bring your friends, your teammates, bring your bring your team if you're a coach. Head out to Carvel DeWitt. You know, if you're a CEO, let's do something for the people, right? Let's have a little ice cream. Let's have a little Sunday. Let's show some love and appreciation for our employees, right? So head out to Carvel DeWitt today, 4322 East Genesee Street in DeWitt, New York, the longest standing Carvel franchise in America. My new Sunday that I have promised you is coming in April. We have everything ready. The promo is ready. Everything is ready. So within the next two weeks, it's going to get real. And I'm very excited because we've like soft opened this thing for like a year. And I blame myself, totally my fault. And I will take the blame for that. We're about to bring you the new Sunday. So the wake up call Sunday that's currently there, you could still get it. But the Sunday's changing as of April of 2023. And everything has been put into motion. There's things in the background going on right now to make sure that in April you can come and try it. So just keep your ear to the ground and yourself close to Wake Up Call. Facebook at Wake Up Call DT, Twitter at Call DT, Instagram at Wake Up Call underscore DT for the announcement coming up very soon. A lot of great stuff to happen. We're going to take a step aside. Thank you to Carvel DeWitt. On 4322 East Genesee Street in DeWitt, New York. Don't let any weather fool you. Whatever the season is and whatever's going on, and sometimes in Syracuse we have three seasons in a day, bring yourself to Carvel DeWitt. It's the one thing that stays consistent when our weather doesn't. And so you can enjoy Carvel DeWitt today. We'll be back right after this fast break with Lead, Learn, Evolve, AdLib, and Deliver. Carvel DeWitt, it's what happy tastes like. Do you know why? Because we make ice cream. Creamy, rich, flavorful ice cream. Not yogurt or iced milk like some of our competitors. Ice cream. Fresh, by hand, daily. For the calorie conscious, we have something new for you. Our new Carvelite. Same great flavor, creaminess, and texture of our regular ice cream with only 35 calories an ounce. So whether you want an ice cream cake, flying saucer, dasher, Carvelanche, hard or soft ice cream, we will satisfy your craving with our fresh, handmade, regular, or new Carvelite ice cream. Carvel DeWitt. It's what happy tastes like. Kefi Cabal offers same-day local delivery of our products, offering no delivery charge for Onondaga County. Shop KefiCabal.com for fresh roasted coffee beans, cold brew, travel mugs, and all your essential Kefi Cabal needs. Kefi Cabal, coffee for the soul. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York is located on 3680 Milton Avenue in the Home Depot Plaza. It is your family-friendly sports bar and restaurant. Folks, some sports bars aren't family-friendly. Some family-friendly restaurants are not sports bars. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York is proud to be both. It is that marriage that you've been looking for for years. The Wildcat Sports Pub is your home base for your sports bar and restaurant needs, games for the kids, indoor and outdoor activities, and enough things on the menu to come back every single week and get to try something new. They're open Sundays from noon to 8 p.m. 
p.m. Monday through Wednesday, 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. And Thursday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to midnight. For reservations and party information, call 315-487-2222 for the Wildcat family-friendly sports pub and restaurant. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios hanging out with you where sports meets that thing called life. We appreciate you being here every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern time. And so thankful to have you here inside of these Cafe Kubal Studios. Cafe Kubal on 3501 James Street, 324 West Water Street, 401 South Salina Street, all in Syracuse, New York. You can also find them on the corner of Route 11 and Taft Road at Sweetheart Corners in their drive through location. Let them know the Wake Up Call sent you their way. And, of course, that's in North Syracuse. You can also find them by going to 343 Fayette Street in Manlius, New York, to their giant behemoth of a brown stripe building, which I call the Welcome Center of Manlius because it is massive. Double-decker cafe. Can't miss it. It's where all roads converge into Manlius. So, yeah, Greg coming off of this thing uh, saying <clears> – <throat> Call it and call that an extended tease. Yeah, man, you've been you you have all been waiting, and I'm a man of my word. And I said it was coming last year, and I was like, hey, definitely it's going to be coming out. Hey, June, and I put it on me. I do. I put it on me. So we've had it ready. We have we have a certain mold that we had to order, so that we could make something that's never been made at Carvel Dewitt before because they've never had the mold for it. So we've done, like, this is a special, special Sunday. It is very central and upstate New York related. It's very cool. It's very awesome. It, I think it can be a recruiting tool. I do. And to get people to come be in this wonderful community. So there's a lot of great stuff. It's coming up with it. I cannot wait to share it with you. And we will be sharing it very, very soon as my Sunday will be released in April. And I can tell you that for certain because we have put everything in motion to make sure that that happens. So I'm really, really excited. There's a a really cool poster coming to Carvel DeWitt. And I get to get my hands on it first. And I can't wait. I got to design it. And I can't wait to see that. So really looking forward to that. Sunday coming up soon. The Annoying Moment of the Week. Proudly brought to you by Carvel DeWitt. And the reason why Carvel DeWitt brings you the Annoying Moment of the Week. Well, number one, it's our longest standing partner. And it's our longest standing segment on Wake Up Call. On top of that, whatever annoys you, you go to Carvel DeWitt. Can't help but smile. The flavors are awesome. The memories you make with around a Carvel ice cream cake or anything at Carvel. I know my family memories have a lot to do with Carvel, and they're all great, wonderful memories. So I appreciate it. I love it. Families go to Carvel. Generations go to Carvel. And I can't wait to bring my new Sunday to Carvel so that you and your family can go and get it. With that being said, it's time to jump into lead. Learn, evolve, ad-lib, and deliver. Always excited to bring you lead here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets that thing called life. We have, an, we have an opportunity today to speak on a very special thing that may sound very easy to people. And 
sometimes it's not. So I asked you to think about it yesterday when I posted it so you could be ready today. The topic for LEAD, which is the acronym Learn, Evolve, Ad Lib, and Deliver, proudly presented by Chick-fil-A Cicero and Chick-fil-A Clay in our faith-based show and faith-based segment and positivity all around, is what makes you smile? That's today's topic. What makes you smile? I want to know. And I am so honored and privileged to be able to bring this topic to you because sometimes it's been hard for me to smile. It's been hard for a lot of us to smile. Over the last couple of years, I can understand that it's maybe been really difficult to smile. So what makes you smile? Think about it. Think about it. What in your life is so wonderful? that you take a step back and say, wow, I smile, I smile, right? Is it, is it that friendship, right? Oh, Dan, I've been best friends with, with this person for my whole life. We've been best friends for 50 years. We get lunch every Thursday. We go get lunch every Thursday, every Monday morning, we go get breakfast. We go out to mother's cupboard every Monday morning for 50 years and we get breakfast and that makes me smile is you know is it something like that is it dan my kids my kids you know the day the day i adopted my child you know there's a lot of adoption in my family and it's a beautiful beautiful thing because without it I don't have these incredible people in my family. And so I, I want to thank the, the work of, of, of everybody in my family that did this because adoption is not an easy thing to do. I don't know if people know a lot about it, but it's not an easy thing to do. And there's people that, I mean, you see it in movies where people are like waiting for months or waiting for years or whatever, but it's, it's, not, it's not an easy thing to do. It's very hard. You got to wrap your head around it. You got to wrap your head around, hey, someday they might want to meet their birth parents. Are their birth parents open to that? Am I open to that? Am I okay with that? What if they come from another country? Am I willing to go over there with them? Do they want to go by themselves? So, you know, there's a lot that goes into it, a lot that goes into it. And, you know, so maybe it's that. Maybe it's the day that, you know, your adoption went through and you got that message. For me, one of my moments that makes me smile that I can literally dial up and describe to you the entire encounter. I remember everything from this day, the day I got Lily, the day I got my daughter, my baby, my child, my love, the day I got her. I remember that so easily. I remember the draw. I remember the phone. I remember looking up the place to the phone call, to the drive, to the rain, to getting in there, to walking into a room with like 40 dogs, and most of them are barking to me saying, you know, look for the ones that aren't barking. And I don't know what made me think that. And I found eight. And then I found her. And she looked at me and she grabbed onto the cage and she pulled her face forward. And I picked her up and she licked my neck and I held her. And then I played with her in the playpen. And then I went to put her down in the playpen with the person I was with at the time. And I was almost completely out of the playpen. I picked my leg up 
and I put my foot down. And as soon as she saw me 100% out of the playpen, she started crying like crazy. And I remember the whole drive home. I remember naming her and her looking up at me because she chose her name, Lily. I remember her holding on to me the whole ride home and hugging me. I remember that whole day. I will never forget that entire day. And it brings tears in my eyes because she is my daughter. She is my daughter. And I'm not going to fight people on that. I don't care if you understand it. I don't care if you think I'm crazy. Lily is a dog. I am a human. And she is my baby. She's my daughter. You know? And, and I... That's a moment that makes me smile. Every day I see her makes me smile. What else makes me smile? God, God's humor. God is very funny. And I don't think people always know that. So I would say to look a little deeper. What else makes me smile? Doing what I love and loving what I do. I knew I was going to be up until one o'clock this morning doing interviews with the NCAA tournament. And I am happy as a freaking clam. You know, I've been going to bed late for God knows how many years, but for the last four weeks, I'm like, you know what? I should get to bed a little bit earlier. I'm not feeling hundred percent. I've gone to bed at like one or two o'clock in the morning last week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday with games from noon to past midnight. I was up every day to the last game doing interviews, everything last night, Gonzaga came back and beat UCLA as only Gonzaga does. And it was such an incredible night. And I stayed up. I stayed up and I interviewed the guys. I interviewed head coach Mark Few again, you know, and, and it's one of the greatest treasures of my life. And, and that's the thing. No matter how sick I am, tired I am, whatever I am, I love being awake when I'm doing what I love and I love what I do. And when you find something that you have such a passion for that you would literally crawl to the microphone to do it or whatever it may be that you love to do, it's like, yeah, you know. My throat needs rest. My vocal cords need rest. I need rest in general. My doctor literally prescribed to me that I go on vacation. That's what he wants me to do. And rest my voice and literally do nothing. Which I will do soon. But, you know, I'll take a break for myself. I don't know if I could do nothing, nothing, but I will take a break. And of everything that's gone on, of all of the like symptoms and stuff that's bothered me and frustrated me. I was ecstatic yesterday to do my show in the morning, then to do a show with Jason Leone at Mother's Cupboard. Don't miss it. We talk about Tobin Anderson from FDU, who's now at Iona, who led the 16 seated Knights to get a victory over number one, Purdue. And it's only the second time in 152 games that a 16 seed beat a one seed. The other time it happened was UMBC of the America East taking down Virginia, who was the number one overall seed at the time. So we did a show about Tobin Anderson and his friendship with Tobin. He was in Tobin's wedding. Tobin was in his wedding. Speaking of Jason Leone, Tobin watches his games, watched his games this year. And we talk about how he called three people before his game in the Sweet 16 against the number one overall reigning champion seed Randolph-Macon this season. And he called John Beeline, 
Adam Stockwell, and Tobin Anderson. And so that's a conversation for the ages. You don't want to miss it. So if you haven't seen it, go to facebook.com backslash wakeupcalldt or youtube.com backslash wakeupcalldt. Make sure to click subscribe and you'll see that awesome, awesome conversation with Jason Leone at Mother's Cupboard where I had my own sandwich, the Cuse McMother, which I got there that day. and had to be very patient about finishing it because I got so into our conversation, but uh, definitely check it out. So yeah, the things that make me smile, there's so many things. Uh, Greg said, I might know a little about this topic. It's certainly not an easy journey, but an incredibly rewarding one. And, you know, Greg, I said it with you in mind too, because I know that that you've adopted and I, and I can just tell from the pictures and the comments and the thoughts that you love your, you love your baby. And, you know, when you, when you love, when you love, when you love, 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 you know, your baby girl, your baby boy, anybody out there, you know, it's, it's a beautiful, I'm 37 years old and my dad does things that make me want to cry when I'm like, I know he loves his boy and my mom, oh, you know, my mom, I am 37 years old. I'm a grown man. I pay all my own bills. I make my money. I have a house. I have credit. I have a car. I have a dog, you know, a life that I have to take care of outside of my own. I got a lot of responsibilities. And at the same time, my mom always keeps my kid's spirit afloat. And, you know, it's like when you have parents who just love up their kids, you know, it's it's such a beautiful thing. So, I mean, that should make you smile. I know your kid might drive you nuts sometimes. I get it. <laughs> you know, I get it. I understand there might be moments here and there where you're like, oh, man, that was so stressful. But, you know, take it from a person who has Lily, and I love her so very much, and I want to have Lily and a baby with the right person. So, with the right person. Because if I had a baby in the past, wouldn't have been the right situation. But, you know, to have that, and I told Lily, if if Lily is the only child that I ever have, then I'm overblessed. And I want God to know that. I want God to know that. I ask God all the time for Lily to live 100 in human years because I can't picture life without her. I really can't. And... That's why I say she's my kid, because I think about her, worry about her. You know, I, I, it's all the same. It's all the same as I hear a parent talk about their child. I know there's some differences. I understand there's things that are not the same between animals and kids, but there are certain things that are the same and love and how love is shown and how love is displayed and how love is is just love is such a beautiful thing that an animal and a human being can show you what it is and you know it and you know it like Lily can show me that she loves me and I know it. And, and, and that's, and, you know, and, and I think that's even more incredible because, you know, most human beings on this planet use their voice to, you know, express love. Right. And, she's not out here talking to me, but I hear her. And that to me is a beautiful thing, you know? And, and if, if you know love, then you know when it, when it's come from something, whoever it's come from, when you know what love is, 
then you you really genuinely you you feel it, you see it, you understand it, you know it, no matter where it comes. And the love that I get from Lily is so real. It is so genuine. It is so beautiful. It is so kind that, you know, it's undeniable. And so, I mean, that, you know, my love for her brings me a lot of peace. It brings me a lot of happiness. It brings me a lot of goodness. And, you know, I think human beings should be more like, should be more like Lily, you know, in a lot of ways, because her love is not like their love. You know, it's genuine, it's real, it's consistent, it's unconditional, it's kind, it's respectful, it's open, it's so unique. It's so unique. And, you know, to know a love like that is to know love. And I can tell you that Lily, my dog, and my grandmother, you know, my G mama, their love very similar how they love very similar and how they show that love without words very similar and you know i'm just i'm i'm entirely blessed and entirely grateful another thing that makes me smile i would say has been you know the the journey of of doing what i do for you know like well i'd mentioned it but you know my career my career really does make me smile and you know and and the people that i get to meet more so, uh, you know, I don't want to say more so, but the people that I get to meet, you know, that, that makes me smile because last night I had the absolute honor of being around the girls bowling team at Baldwinsville and they just won a state title, first ever state title in the history of boys or girls bowling at Baldwinsville. It's the first time that the bees have ever won a state title in bowling. Incredible. And so we were doing our show and I was sitting with Lizzie Hildreth right next to me and awesome people that came on the show, by the way, uh, Gary Peterson, the head coach, fantastic. Big shout out to Gary, big shout out to the twins, uh, Jenna and Julia speech uh, spelled S P E I C H. So make sure you spell it right. And, and, uh, cause I remember when I was typing it in, they're like, you spelled it right. I'm like, well, you know, that was coach because, you know, coach, coach got it already. But, um, so to Jenna and Julia and to their family, got to meet their, their parents and got to talk with dad for a little bit, which was really nice. And then Lizzie Hildreth and then to talk with the sisters, you know, Sam and Maddie Hass, really awesome, awesome conversation with the ladies and has me thinking about doing a little a segment of my show called, you know, what's the hassle and have the two of them together because their chemistry and their like back and forth conversation is like, it, it is tangible in the air and it's, it's just really great. I mean, it's, it's, I don't think they understand how entertaining and awesome it, it like their interaction is really cool and fun. And I loved it yesterday. And so I was talking with Lizzie and Lizzie said, you know, as, as a lot of them said, you know, our parents, our grandparents got us into the game. And I'm so moved by that because I love my parents and I love my grandparents. And then Lizzie said, you know, my grandfather, who's sitting right there, and I looked in front of me and he's sitting at the table. She said, my grandfather got me into it, you know, around four or five years old. And, you know, I said, well, what's grandpa's name? She said, David. And I said, all right, shout out to David. We clapped up David as he deserves. and. 
you know, I, I told her last night, I said, I want you to kiss and hug your grandparents, kiss and hug David, your grandpa and, and all your grandparents, kiss and hug them over and over and over again. And then when you leave the house, I want you to run back in. You don't have to say any words, run back in the house, give him another kiss, give him another hug, just because, because you're never going to regret it. And you're never going to look back and say, oh, I, I gave him too many kisses and hugs. You can never give him enough. And then David came up and talked to me after the show. And that made me smile. And Lizzie made me smile with that story. And, you know, so, and thinking about my grandparents makes me smile and picturing my grandma, because I know she's with me. And I know she's with my mom and, you know, she's with my Aunt Donna. And she's with Nico and Miguel and, and she's with us all. She's with Lily and she's with Leo, my, my aunt's dog. And so I know that, you know, she's sitting in my passenger seat and I see her when I'm driving and that makes me smile and certain songs when they come on, make me smile. So, you know, there's a lot of things in my life that make me smile, that make me sit back and reflect, you know, and, you know, having that red Mustang. And every game I got out of at the ACC tournament down in Greensboro, I was excited to get in that car and drive around and, you know, have some fun with a vehicle totally different than anything I've ever known, owned. And that made me smile, you know. And not in a materialistic way, just in a, you know, I get to experience this something different, something that I haven't experienced before. So that made me smile, you know. and. So I think today is a great day, best day ever for you to tell me what makes you smile and why it makes you smile. You know, what is it? Is it your kids? Is it your job? Is it your significant other? Is it your mom, your dad, your aunt, your uncle, your grandparents? What makes you smile? I'd love to know because the beauty of this world is to find the beauty in this world. I'll say that again. The beauty of this world is to find the beauty in this world. That's the beauty of this world is to find it. Because when you find the beauty, when you see through the cracks and through the stress and through the pain and through the confusion and through the strife, when you find the beauty, then you get it. And when you get it, you really get it. It changes everything. And when you find the beauty, don't be somebody who doesn't share it. Help other people find it. We're all on a journey. And trust me, we all got to find the beauty ourselves. I get that. But there's people that can help us by pointing it out, showing us the way. The world is a beautiful place. It might seem crazy. As I talked about in the last segment, it might seem unfair, 
it might seem completely and utterly wrong at times. But there is beauty in this world. So when you find it, when you realize it, hold on to it. Because life is, in my opinion, about finding the beauty. It's about finding the goodness. It's about looking beyond the veil and seeing seeing that it's not guess the best way to put it is when you look for beauty and you realize that it is through your eyes and not necessarily what it is, when you can find beauty in a flower that hasn't bloomed yet, when you can find beauty in a flower that looks like it's dead, when you can find beauty in the thorns around the flower, you realize that it's never been about finding the beauty, but it's been in training your eye to see the beauty, even when others don't see it. So go out and smile. And find that beauty. Because a well-trained eye can see the good in anything. Even the hardest things. A well-trained eye will see the beauty. And in that sense, that person, that being, is not spending their whole life searching. Because they can find it anywhere. That's when happiness comes from within. So why do I smile? Because I'm happy. Because I joke about a lot of things. And yeah, there's things that frustrate me. But... I don't yell in my car when somebody drives poorly as much anymore. I don't get mad when a relationship doesn't work out like I used to. I don't chase when somebody's playing cat and mouse on phone calls. I respect myself as a business person to not take some type of disrespectful money or chase somebody in a conversation. And I tell people when they say something asinine, I'll make a joke about it, but I put it in there. Yeah, you know, I had somebody say to me, that their line of business, they didn't know if sports fans connected with their line of business. And I wrote them back a true statement, a firm and clear statement, but it was comedic. And it was my way of going, do sports fans not eat? Because the last time I checked, we all eat. We all got birthdays and anniversaries and whatnot. I think we celebrate them. So it was my way of saying, if you don't want to work with me, say that. But don't give me some ridiculous notion that is not true and would never be true. You know, so, I mean, I'm totally fine sticking up for myself. But what I was saying was I don't get the crazy screaming in the car. I don't get the, oh, my God, baby, come back. 
I don't get the, I need to chase your business and your business needs to know. I don't get the, I'm going to change everybody's mind on social media. I'm not like that anymore. And you know what? I'm more peaceful. I'm happier. I'm more calm. And I enjoy my life more. Because the moment that you realize that your life is not about the opinions of other people and your life is not about pleasing anybody but God, that's when life gets better. That's when you start hearing your own music and having your own day away from everybody else. I've, I've, I can literally go back to a moment that I had recently this week where I felt like I came out of a place I was at and I was standing outside. I was just walking outside and it was me and God having a conversation and I didn't see anybody. I didn't hear anybody. I didn't know anything that was going on. It was just God and I just hanging out like the whole world was mine. Because I was focused on the right thing. Cheers to doing that every day. Go out there and smile. Be good to yourself and be good to other people. We'll take a step aside. This has been Lead, Learn, Evolve, AdLib, and Deliver. Faith-based and positive segment coming from the faith-based positive people. At Chick-fil-A Cicero and Chick-fil-A Clay right here in our community. Supporting, loving, empowering, and uplifting our community in a way that only Jimmer Sikowski and his team can. Chick-fil-A Cicero and Chick-fil-A Clay. Make sure you go out to Chick-fil-A Cicero on 7916 Brewerton Road in Cicero, New York, and Chick-fil-A Clay on 3974 Route 31 in Liverpool, New York. So make sure you come out to these both these wonderful places right off the highway. Very easy to get to. One in Liverpool, and because you know Liverpool and Clay are kind of like the same thing. So Chick-fil-A Clay. 3974 Route 31 in Liverpool and Chick-fil-A Cicero, 7916 Brewerton Road in Cicero, New York. We look forward to seeing you out at both. We'll take a step aside and come back with the top dog of the week announcement right after this. It does have to do with the NCAA tournament, just so y'all know. Avicoli's, located on the corner of Route 57 and Wetzel Road in Liverpool, New York, has been your trusted neighbor for decades. Located just steps from Liverpool High School, we're happy to have the Liverpool Warriors on-site, on-location broadcast at Avicoli's through Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora every single month, featuring student athletes, coaches, and administration throughout the year from Liverpool High School. Head out to Avicoli's today on the corner of Route 57 and Wetzel Road in Liverpool, New York, open Tuesday. Tuesday through Sunday for lunch, dinner, and drinks. We'd love to see you out there. And of course, you can call them at 315-622-5100 for takeout, delivery, and catering. That's 315-622-5100. And also find them on myavicolis.com. That's myavicolis.com. Having peace of mind when you're out of town, that your furry loving friend is safe and sound, means taking them to Canine Campground. Because we all know that when it comes to the love of our pets, it goes well beyond the call of duty to make sure they're safe and sound. Right, Lily? So take a ride to 242 Johnson Street in East Syracuse, New York, and see Canine Campground and where your dog will be staying in the classic cabin, the executive cabin, the grand cabin, or of course, the luxury cabin, because if you know Lily, you know she loves luxury. <laughs> now you don't have to wait to the last minute to find a family member or a friend 
that'll take your dog for a few days. Call K9 Campground at 315-299-4013. That's 315-299-4013. Their drop-off and pickup times are Monday through Sunday. Check K9 campground.com for more information that's the letter k the number nine and campground spelled with a k dot com k9 campground.com when you're going out of town bring your dog to k9 campground pb and j's lunchbox the food truck that you love finding all throughout central and upstate new york now has a street side cafe so when you're craving their traditional favorites as well as their out-of-box amazing menu items you can now head to 663 old liverpool road in liverpool new york located just minutes from the highway the thruway destiny usa and onondaga lake parkway pb and j's lunchbox street side cafe is there for you monday through saturday from 9 a.m to 7 p.m serving breakfast lunch and and dinner all throughout the day. Get breakfast for dinner, dinner for lunch, whatever you fancy, including their award-winning grilled peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Find them at 663 Old Liverpool Road in Liverpool, New York. PB&J's Lunchbox, where we love to know what's in your lunchbox. This is a special message from 317 at Montgomery restaurant owner Joel Carpenter. Open Tuesday through Saturday for your dining pleasure on 317 Montgomery Street in Syracuse, New York. We wanted to be a part of the resurgence of Syracuse. We saw uh, a lot of money being put into bringing people back downtown and thought that, you know, we'd like to be a part of that. I love putting together a good dish where people see it first, they fall in love with it, and then it tastes just as good as it looks. We want to provide the best food in Syracuse that we possibly can, and we want you to leave here talking to your family, your friends about what you had to eat first and foremost, but also our service and to walk out feeling like you're part of our family. I work out in the front of the house a lot, and I love walking to every single table asking them how everything is and people looking at me and smiling and saying this is the most amazing short rib i've ever had this is the most amazing filet i've ever had and donna is great sarah's amazing thank you for coming over and talking to us and then them just being truly happy for the experience that they've gotten 317 at montgomery restaurant part of the fabric of downtown Syracuse, located on 317 Montgomery Street in Syracuse, New York, open Tuesday through Saturday for a unique and memorable dining experience. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios, hanging out with you where sports truly meets that thing called life. We appreciate you being here. With us on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, there has been some incredible, incredible moments in the NCAA tournament thus far. The, the Division One men's basketball tournament, there has been some wonderful, wonderful moments. But last night, there were some moments that we just can't help but love on. And they have become my top dogs of the week. And so folks, it is my pleasure. It is my honor. It is my tribute to these wonderful gentlemen that this 
is the top dog of the week segment where I can proudly bring to you our top dogs of the week. <laughs> top dogs of the week for this. I mean, folks, listen, this again, this, this was such a wonderful, wonderful night of basketball, such a great night of basketball. And the Gonzaga Bulldogs, who I predicted to be in the final four this year, have continued to impress, make these comebacks, and and do some amazing things. And one of my top dogs of the week has to go to the Gonzaga Bulldogs. And so from one dog to another, right? Top dog of the week, Lily's Voice, brought to you by Canine Camp Dog Daycare and Canine Campground Dog Boarding. It makes perfect sense that our top dog of the week would have to do with some dogs. And we got some. So I am so very proud and so very grateful to the Gonzaga Bulldogs for giving us an incredible march. Julian Strother, this is the play. And I want to thank the NCAA, CBS, TNT, TBS, and True TV who brought this audio to us. Oh, because you've also dominated the offensive glass. Chances are you'll get more than one opportunity. Oh, the author for the lead. I mean, he's on the ass in March Madness. <laughs> That is a long shot. He took it from Reno, and he cashed in. Turn the corner. He's a great three-point shooter. The Gonzaga Bulldogs, Julian Strother, to hit that shot, that big-time shot, the setup, the play. They ran a play, folks. They ran a play, you know, for Syracuse fans that are excited about that, hopefully being in their history. The Gonzaga Bulldogs ran a play and the play that they ran was coming down the court right dribble set it up got the guy tailing behind you dish it kind of just set him up there dish him the ball let him fire away he took a deep three julian struther did what an incredible moment and this game such an amazing game such an amazing and i had the opportunity to speak with julian after the game uh, malachi as well as drew timmy and I'm I'm so grateful that they allowed me the opportunity to do that. So I want to thank the NCAA. I want to thank the tournament in and of itself. I want to thank Mark Few and Gonzaga University for this uh, this moment for me to be able to speak with a team that I've respected for many many years across many places from high school to college to now. I've been a fan of the Gonzaga Bulldogs and have loved watching their history. Love seeing them create history. Love what they're doing this year. I have believed. So Drew Timmy said, nobody believed in us. Not true. I get your sentiment and I fully understand it. And I say things like that all the time because I get where you're coming from. But Drew Timmy, I've believed in you. I believed in you. And my bracket is proof of that. So I'm very excited, very excited for this team. And I mean... It wasn't just Julian in this game, right? There was a lot of things that happened in this game. But wow, 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 
what an incredible game. What an incredible night. And I mean, to see, and, and again, I mean, they were down, they were down by double digits. They were down by more than 10. And I'm sitting here going, yeah, but it's Gonzaga, Dan. It's Gonzaga, Dan, you know, and I just kept reminding myself it's Gonzaga. And I'm watching the other game. And then at some points I'm watching picture in picture. Shout out to YouTube, YouTube TV for making it possible. But I'm watching it, right? And I see it. And I'm watching both of these games. And I kind of, you know, like I'm tuned in and I'm locked into the Tennessee FAU game. Shout out to FAU. And so I'm watching the FAU game. But I'm keeping my eye on the score for the Gonzaga game. And I'm like, oh, okay, they've cut it to, you know, 14. Oh, okay, now they've cut it to 10. And then it was like, and then you'd look up and you're like, oh, okay, it's one. And then, you you know, I was like, you know what, let me, let me get this game on. Let me, let me put these games on together. And it, it was insane to see Gonzaga with 10 minutes left to go, just what they've done and what they did in the game before against TCU and what they've done this season. Just, I mean, they are the comeback kings, and they've they've done some really amazing things, and it's been amazing to watch it. It's been it's been stupendous. I don't want to use the same word twice, so it's been stupendous to watch it. Big shout out to our top dogs of the week. My other top dogs of the week have to do with the tournament as well. So let's jump right into my other top dogs of the week as we get ready for Brian Kersey. So my other top dogs of the week that I got to give a shout out to and give some love to. That I'm so happy. I gotta, I gotta give it up to UConn. UConn and Dan Hurley. What they've done is has been no short of incredible. And and so I have to, have to, have to, have to say big time shout out to Dan Hurley and the crew. UConn, he's this is his fifth season there. They've gone through the COVID, you know, time together and had to navigate through all that as many coaches did. He did it early on in his career with UConn. They made it to the tournament. They've gotten bumped out of the tournament. Now they're one step away from the Final Four. Awesome work. They blew out Arkansas, who took down the reigning national champion. So that's got to tell you something. Arkansas beats the reigning national champion, Kansas Jayhawks, who are the third one seed in this tournament. They beat them, and then they get blown out by UConn, which I thought UConn was a better team, and UConn obviously showcased that. To take nothing away from Arkansas, just head to head, I thought UConn was a better team, and so seeing that their top dogs of the week, FAU, from never winning an NCAA tournament game. Think about this, folks. They've only been to the NCAA tournament. They became a Division One team at Florida Atlantic University. They started competing with the opportunity to go to the NCAA tournament in the '90s. They haven't been around since the '40s or the '50s or the '60s. They came around in the '90s, right, right before the 21st century. They become a Division One team and an opportunity to go. They've only been to the tournament twice, this being the second time this year. So they've only been to the tournament twice, FAU has. They get to the tournament, never won an NCAA tournament game. Check, done off the list. Never made it to the Sweet 16. Check, done off the list. Never made it to the Elite Eight. Check, done off the list. FAU is a danger zone, and there's nobody in the country that's won as many games as they have. They've won 34 games. They're 34-3 and right now. If Houston wins today, then Houston will tie them. But right now, Florida Atlantic, 34 wins. I don't care what conference you play in. It is really hard to do, especially with teams that see every single season. Dusty May is doing an incredible job, and FAU said it. They said, you can't doubt us no more. We're here. We ain't going nowhere. 
you can't doubt us anymore. I mean, I guess people still can, but they're saying, listen, look at what we've done. Look at who, look at who we have taken down. Now, the Memphis game is a really questionable call, which is not FAU's fault. That was a really questionable call about the timeout, but they still had to make the layup and drop the play and do an amazing out-of-bounds play and then go to the basket and just, you know, be on their P's and Q's for everything. So FAU wins that game over Memphis. is a really good team that doesn't get the respect that they deserve. And then, you know, so to see FAU win that game. Then they take down FDU, and we know Fairleigh Dickinson was fighting like crazy under Tobin Anderson, and they were in a couple possessions, and that game was close. And, you know, FAU has got to make the free throws. they got to do the things they need to do to get to the end of that game. And then they take down the SEC in Tennessee. Big ups to FAU. And then my other top dog of the week that I got to give it up to, so I got to give one more thing here. This this gentleman set an NCAA tournament record for most assists in a game. He is the same height as me. So shout out to all the coaches that said five foot eight players can't play basketball at a high level. Shout out to all of you guys who were one billion percent wrong. Marquise Noel, wow. 19 assists, including, and I was listening to it because I was on the way home from Pizza Man last night. I'm listening to the game, and that final assist comes from an inbound play. I, and I literally thought to myself, he's got 18 assists, which ties the record. And I'm, I thought to myself, he's on the inbound pass. I said, watch him get his 19th assist on the inbound pass. Sure enough, passes it in on the inbound pass. He gets the assist. 19 assists. Man played out of his mind. A New York City guy in New York City in the garden doing what he did. Nuts. Running and saying, this is my city. God, that had to be an incredible moment for him. So big, big ups to all of my top dogs of the week who come from every single game that was played last night. You deserve to be the top dogs. So much love to you. What did uh, Greg say? Shout out to YouTube TV for a quality TV streaming product, but I do find it oddly convenient that they raise rates by $9 per month on the day the NCAA basketball tournament starts, but we are getting the great multi-game feature. Uh, minimal to no college offers out of high school. Yeah, talking about uh, Marquise Noel. So, I mean, listen, that's why I don't do star systems on my website because there ain't no such thing as a star system, okay? It's about talent. It's about talent. It's about fight. It's about grit. It's about God-given talent and what you do with it. So Marquise Noel, whoo, five foot eight. Say what? Five foot eight people out there. You know, shout out to my five foot eighters doing their thing. I love it. Marquise Jones or Maurice Jones Drew, also five foot eight. I'm a hair taller than him. I'm a hair taller. We were face to face because I used to interview him when he was at Jacksonville. But so much fun. So incredible. Marquise Noel. You put the world on your back. I picked K-State. Yes. Now, listen, my bracket had Gonzaga. So my, you know, so I'm doing the picks. So obviously I'm living, I'm staying with my bracket no matter what. I'm not, I can't change my bracket. My bracket is what it is. But for the sake of the conversation yesterday on what teams I picked, I picked Kansas State over Michigan State. I picked UConn over Arkansas. I picked Gonzaga over UCLA. And I picked Tennessee over FAU. So I was three of four yesterday. FAU proved me wrong. I love it. I'm loving every minute of it for Dusty May and the team. And you're right. Nobody can doubt you anymore that's got half a brain. We'll take a step aside for a fast break. We'll be back momentarily with Brian Kersey to speak on the calls and non-calls of the tournament here in the NCAA tournament with the ACC coordinator of men's basketball officiating. Coming up right after this.
Kefi Kabalma for same-day local delivery of our products, offering no delivery charge for Onondaga County. Shop KefiKabal.com for fresh roasted coffee beans, cold brew, travel mugs, and all your essential Kefi Kabal needs. Kefi Kabal, coffee for the soul. Remind us that every day is worth celebrating. Find them at 201 Old 7th North Street in Liverpool, New York. Open Monday through Saturday in-store and all the time online at maandpazpopcorn.com. Serving our Central New York community and beyond, you can order all throughout the country at maandpazpopcorn.com. And remember to get your tins, which have in-store half-price refills forever. Ma and Pa's Kettle Corn and Popcorn Factory, available to you for fundraising and all of your events by calling 315-450-6272. That's 315-450-6272. Ma and Pa's Kettle Corn and Popcorn Factory. How corny are you? Witty Wicks Candles and Gift Shop, Township 5 Camillus, where you will find handcrafted all-natural soy wax candles over 60 cents to freshen up your home. We carry a wide range of locally made items, Salsa Cuse, Syracuse Salt, and Chocolate Pizza Company, to name a few. Let our knowledgeable staff help choose unique gifts and keepsakes for any occasion. Gifts for family and friends, and maybe a little something for yourself. Witty Wicks Candles and Gift Shop, Township 5 Camillus. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios. Hanging out with you where sports meets that thing called life. We appreciate you being here every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And it is my pleasure, as always, to have truly an incredible guest here on the show. And we featured at this point, I have totally lost count, but I, we've had over 4,000 people on the show. And they have been wonderful each with their own personality, each with their own story. 
and so many wonderful things that we've been able to do and stories we've gotten to tell. And I am very proud and very happy, more than anything else, to have a friendship built with Brian Kersey, who joins me here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, the ACC coordinator of men's basketball officiating and a former NCAA official himself. Uh, Brian and I got to see each other down at the ACC tournament in Greensboro this year. He got to watch the game. I'm talking about being at home, being on YouTube TV, watching picture and picture and picture and picture. He had he had the screens in front of him. He had the matrix. So I you know I'm sitting a couple I'm sitting a couple seats over from this man, and I'm thinking, I want to sit like what can we do next year that it, for the ACC tournament? And I know that I know that Brian can pull some strings because he was getting some food for some of those kids out there. So I know that Brian can pull some strings here to put my seat next to his seat so that whenever something's going on, we can because I honestly would rather just sit next to him. And be you know be that fly on the wall to to be playing it back, watching them, looking at it, and say, Brian, what is that? And you'd be like, No, that's the wrong call. That's not what they should have done. They need to do it this because they were doing that yesterday, and they you know they they call people in and and whatnot, and and the commentators were saying we've already figured this out over you know over the call, so we can just they're like we're right down the row here. We could just let them know what it is, you know, and and we don't know what they're waiting on, but. I, to to see the setup that Brian has, I want to sit next to him, watch it, and just have him in my ear the whole time saying, did you see this? Now look at this. This is why it's a flagrant one, because I'm a student of the game and I love it. So Brian, two things. Number one, shout out to the seat that the ACC gives you. And number two, can you put me next to you next year? Can you move the cards around? <laughs> you have to talk to them. I mean, it's gotta be careful though because things get thrown and things get yelled at you while you're sitting in that seat so when you especially when you replay things but you know it's gotten to the point now with uh, all the media that's out there i have a tv screen so and i can listen to what tv is saying and then i have a dv sports screen yeah which shows me eight angles so i mean it's i can rewind fast forward get out of there as quick as possible and hope nobody hits me with anything. <laughs> did you did you say eight <laughs> angles? Eight angles. ACC has an upgraded um, uh, replay system that our officials use, and they, they send me that. And uh, on all of our games, it's us and one other league in the country that, that have this system, and, and, and it, it's great. It's great for our reviews. Shows us one screen that shows everything that's going out to general public on TV, and then it has uh, seven other views of different angles that are that that we can pull up. You know, we can see a clock, we can see a line. You know, we can get a better. We can zoom in. I mean, it's it's crazy what our system does, but I mean, it works, and we're fortunate to have it. Our league, you know, backs our sport very very well. And uh, they've got us this system in it. It's crazy. It's just nuts. I can look at it frontwards, backwards, any, any way you want, sideways. See, I'm, I'm thinking that when these games are going on, like the ACC tournament, I'm thinking that you're outside in a trailer in this like setup thing, almost like you're, you know, staking out something, you know, when they have that truck and they got all the equipment. I'm thinking you're away from everybody watching all this stuff inside of some control room. You're right there on the sideline looking at these screens and, like you said, getting eight different angles in the moment. Do you like being immersed in the energy of the room while you're watching it, or would you rather be in a place 
that's like off to the side somewhere. I think I think it's best to be in there because I can I can see the atmospheric pressure basically of the game. I can see how the coaches are reacting. I can see a whole lot more. I can see how players react after calls are made. I can see body language better of officials when they you know I, I can look at a referee and tell his body language is bad. He probably thinks he missed it. You know, and and the the crazy thing is. You know, everything that goes on in a game, you know, during the season, I travel on Mondays, I travel on Sundays and some Fridays. Uh, but on Wednesdays and Saturdays, I sit in my office where I have six TVs and DV Sport has come, has been into my office and wired my TVs with the same system. So I don't get the feel of what's going on in the arena. You have to hear, you know, what the coaches, how they're reacting, you know, if they're in a, uh, a good moment or a bad moment when plays are are going down, if they're going to follow an official down, if they're having conversation. And then, you know, after the game, in our tournaments, you know, I have a tablet that goes into the back uh, the locker room, which people don't even realize that we do. And we have a big screen TV back there. The tablet hooks to that. And we pull up plays and look at them from different angles, plays that I think they missed that we have to relook at. Things, plays that they want to look at, last-second shots, twos to threes, you know, flagrant fouls, all of those things come into play and we go back there and we can look at them. I, I don't know if you noticed, but I would leave every, in the last four minutes of the half after the four minute media and the four minute media of the, the uh, game. So I could be in the back to see, you know, by then the atmosphere is set, the arena of the game, as I call it, is set. Yeah. I can go back there and have my tablet back there that still has all the plays. I can still fast forward and rewind. I can hear what TV is saying on these last second shots. And, and uh, it just helps. You know, we have, it, it, we train all the time. I mean, I, I don't think people realize the training that goes in with these guys, the video that they watch, but it's nonstop. And, and I think that's why we have the, the staff that we have. We have the league support that we have because they know the time that's put in. And uh, we just do it a little different. I think all coordinators on the Power 5 level have their own way of doing it. I do it this way. Mike Eads probably does it a different way. Curtis Shaw does it a different way. And, and whatever works for us, but the more plays we see, the better we get. Here with Brian Kersey here on the show on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios, ACC coordinator of men's basketball officiating. Everything you just described opened up so many doors to me. First thing is, do all of the Power Five conferences, do they have the equipment that you have? Do they have similar means to go about their job? Or is the ACC kind of the front runner in what you have at your disposal? Well, I mean, I think they all do it their own way. You know, uh, SEC has a replay center that everything goes through. Uh, so they get the, the whatever angles they have. I think we brought us and one other league on the West Coast gets the, the eight angle thing that our officials can see in game. Uh, so, I mean, it helps. It, it, it also helps like if a coach calls and asks about a play, especially on drive to the basket where I have the camera that's on the baseline. You know, they can see through the play. They may think from the TV feed that they're looking at that the guy got fouled. And I can either say, yeah, he did, or no, he did not uh, get fouled. I can clip that play and send it to him. You know, so it helps us, you know, convey messages back and forth with coaches. It proves us 
that we were either right or that we were wrong in the plays that we have and we get better from all of them. But I mean, I think our system that the league has set up for us, especially in game and what they give me, uh, is probably as, as top of the line as you can get with the exception of what the NBA gets, I'm sure. You know, and, and I mean, do you ever, being a former NCAA official yourself, do you ever get the itch like you're sitting there, you're on the sideline and they're, you know, the officials are reviewing the call and they're looking at it on the screen. Do you ever feel that sensation or that itch to like jump out of your seat and run over to them and be like, guys, how can you not see? Like, this is what it is. Like, how can you not see that? What'd you say? Yeah. Every single time when they've been over there for 30 or 40 seconds, it's time to move on. You know, I want them to get in and get out. I want them to be right, but. If I can see it, they can see it. And I'm sitting there going, please, just get out of that. Because the longer you stay over there, the more fans start yelling, the more coaches get frustrated. You know, end of game, the coaches want the timeout, so they're probably setting up a play anyway. But, yeah, there's a lot of times I get the itch to go over there and, and say something. But, you know, I trust them. You know, there's a big trust factor between myself and, and them. And I think we have to let them do their job, and, and they do it very well as – is uh, indicated by how many are working, you know, even this weekend and last. You know, and, and I think there was at least one time in the ACC tournament where the call was taking a, a really long time and the officials were reviewing it. Like you said, the longer you take, there's a certain window that you have before fans start moaning and groaning and rumbling and bumbling and all that stuff. So, you know, if you could go back to that, because I know you just you just said, yeah, well, I was saying that what what that moment was like specifically in this year's ACC tournament, that there was this play that was taking minutes. And the longer that it took, the more you start to you feel that you feel the room change, you feel people get upset, you feel, you know, the pressure. I'm sure the officials feel the pressure. You know, what can you say about about that? Because I know there was at least one moment where I was sitting there on the sideline going, guys, this is one of those like riot moments where you need to figure it out. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, moments like what happened in the, the tournament, they, they get involved and in, in looking at the actual play. Yeah. And then we have to get the clock straight. We have to get the inbound spot straight. And 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 then we lose a shooter. And so we, in the moment that we had there, we just kept going back, going back, going back instead of, you know, I like them to discuss what they're going to look at and have their checklist so that when they get over there, they go A, B, C, D, and then they get out. And sometimes you get caught up. I mean, I did it as a rep, you know, when I was 2013 or 14 out of Arizona, Wisconsin out in Anaheim and and uh, was was at the monitor for eight minutes, which seems like an hour, you know, when you're in the moment. And it was a simple out of bounds. Well, it wasn't a simple out of bounds, but it was a tough out of bounds play with two and a half seconds left in a two point game. And you know, you're, you're sitting there thinking, you know, the ACC tournament one year you had the last second shot for State playing Virginia Tech, and you know, Virginia Tech wins, they probably go to the tournament. They did not, but they, you know, had a chance and and. John Cockerty would always tell us, remember, in tournaments, when you're reviewing something, it's a million-dollar decision or a $10,000 decision. Well, not to go into the NCAAs or the NITs. Yeah. You know, so so you, have to, you have to get it right, but you have to get it right quickly. And 
but you have to know what you're going to look at. And with our system, we don't go over there and have many blank screens anymore. And uh, you, you got to get over there. And that's the great thing about having standbys, you know, in, in the tournament wasn't communicated well with what we wanted to, to look at at that moment. And that's what held us up. And we have to we have to do a better job of that in those situations. And, and again, something we learn from. Yeah, you know, and, 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 and like you said, I mean, obviously learning from these things, growing and, and evolving with it, with you as the ACC coordinator of men's basketball officiating, you're watching these games, you're watching the plays, but you're also watching the officials and you're looking at their track record. How difficult is it for you having been a former NCAA official to have to tell someone, hey, you're not going to be moving on here with the ACC tournament, or I'm not going to put your name in for the NCAA tournament because I, I've spoken with Mike Kitts about this too. There's a bracket that goes on behind the scenes. There's this NCAA tournament bracket, and then there's the official bracket. And the officials bracket is, okay, here, here are all the officials. Here are the ones that you know the coordinators of basketball officiating are going to recommend. Here are the ones that make the pool. And now these are the ones in the tournament. And then as each round of the tournament moves on, here's who's going on, here's who's not. So how difficult of a job is is that for you to do to sit somebody down and say, hey, you know, I know you're giving your best. I, I know you did this, but I'm not going to recommend you to move on because that behind the scenes bracket is such an imperative connection to the actual bracket because the hope is the deeper we get into the tournament, the better the officiating becomes. Agree, and, and and I think I think it's evolved a long ways in the last you know ten years, especially in the last two or three. Um, it used to be you went out there to referee the NCAA tournament with yourself in mind, and and you wanted to be successful, and you really thought that the more times you went to the table. And reported a foul. They thought you worked harder. And I think that, especially since like Mikey just come in as the SEC coordinator, and we work very well with him, and we work very well with with uh, Curtis Shaw and Terry Weimer, who is the Big Ten. Curtis is the Big Twelve, and Johnny Cal and myself. And I think that we've got elevated these guys to to stop being in individuals and being a crew out there now being their own team and having whistles come from the right spots because those are all magnified because of TV, yeah. you know, TV, social media have, have exposed some officials for working that way. And we've related to all of our officials that, you know, it, it will kill you if you try to go out there and referee as an individual, if you think you get paid by the whistle, you're not. And I think that, since we've all begun working together and relaying the same message to our staffs that, that it's it's helped us. Our leagues have helped that helped that. The Paul Brazos and the Stu Jacksons, the Jeff Jacksons and the you know, the John Williamses out there that are in that level between us and the commissioner. Commissioners of the league have helped us in that, and they've given us that leeway to try and relay those messages. They've given us this training uh, 
platform with the TV sport and all of the angles to get us to that point. And, and I think that's truly helped us. You know, our leagues have committed financially uh, to this and it's helped us a lot. And, you know, and like, fans may not think so. Fans <laughs> may not think so, but, but you know, it, it, it's, you know, we have less bad moments than we used to. I can promise you that. Well, you know, and, and, and that's the thing, like you said, you know, you don't get paid by the whistle and, and some, you know, officials, and I, I thought that was a great way to say what you said, because it does bring up, you know, the thought process of it kind of like cops thinking that they get paid by the ticket. Right. So the 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 thought of like, I need to blow my whistle or I'm not doing my job. Have you had to kind of teach that out of people to say, hey, you know, there could be games where you're not going to blow this whistle as much. And it doesn't mean that you're doing a bad job, you know, call the play when the play is there. Have you had to kind of reteach or evolve officials in, in getting them to believe the reality of not getting paid by the whistle? Well, I think, I think what we, we, the teaching process there is make sure the whistles come from the right spots. Yeah. You know, I don't want, I don't want a guy standing out by, mid-court calling a foul on a play to the basket. So I, I think we've alleviated a lot of that stuff happening. Um, and, and that's helped us because, you know, we, we it's a trust factor now. We, we've created staffs and given opportunities to officials to to see where their whistles are coming from. Training videos that I send out, you know, I send out eight training videos a year to all officials within our alliance. And they're all voiced over showing plays that they either got right or they got wrong, but they're all learning aspects. And some of them, you know, are, are tough on guys to have to watch, but they know what's coming because I've already talked to them about it. And, you know, clocks and all kinds of things that, that we discuss that try to make us better, to try to make us more aware of what's going on and, and who is supposed to look at a low post, you know, back down, you know, it, you know, when plays going to the basket and it plays a star on the wings, whose play is it all the way to the basket? Who has a secondary defender? There's a lot of stuff that goes into all of that, but if whistles come from the right spots, our numbers are a whole lot better than if they come from the wrong spots. Because if we're looking at closed looks, we have whistles on closed looks, which I think we've gotten a lot better at. Uh, which I, what I mean by a closed look is I'm looking at a defender's back. Yeah. And I can see his number plain as day. And I'm going to say he bumped him in front of him. Well, I can't see. So I'll ask an official, what he bumped him with? His arm, his body, or what? What part of his body? And then they'll say, well, I didn't see it. I thought he bumped him. And, and you know, they learn from all of that. that. Coming from Brian Kersey here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, NCAA official alum and ACC coordinator, men's basketball officiating. We, we talk about some of these calls, like you said, they, you know, is it a $10 million call or a $10,000 call when you look at, you know, you look at the, the reality of the NCAA tournament versus going to the NIT? I'm going to throw this one at you because to me, this was the most egregious that I've seen. And maybe you could tell me that there's a different one you saw in the NCAA tournament this year. But, I, you know, they, they always say, how many whatever does it take to screw in a light bulb, right? Well, my question is, how many Memphis players? does it take to call timeout? Because in that game against FAU, taking nothing from FAU because they played a hell of a game. But the Memphis Tigers, with under 10 seconds to go, they're on the ground, they have the ball, 
there are two players running from opposite sides of an official to the official on his left ear and right ear, screaming timeout. The players on the ground, I don't know if he was calling timeout too, but he's holding on to the ball. The official looks down at the ball, doesn't look at either player. The commentator said, oh, he probably didn't hear the guys. I'm like, he didn't hear the guys screaming in his face, right next to his face. And so the call is a jump ball because eventually when the official finally blew his whistle, the ball had been taken up by FAU and Memphis. The possession arrow was to FAU. So with Memphis up by one, they lose the timeout, they lose possession, and FAU scores with under three seconds to play, and they move on by a point. I would love to get your thoughts on that because I watched it in real time and couldn't figure out for the life of myself how timeout wasn't awarded to the Tigers. Well, I can tell you, I've been in those situations many times when I was on the floor. When somebody is going to the floor or down on the floor, the the referees away from it have no idea whether or not he has possession of the ball. The referees on the ball have to be watching him. What if somebody falls, you know, piles onto him? What if somebody grabs him? I mean, you're focused on that situation. And people, I say say this all the time, people not in it don't understand it. But, you know, you, you block out a lot of stuff when you're concentrating on one play. And I think in that situation, I remember the play very well. You know, you're in there trying to figure out, A, does he have control of the ball? And B, is he getting fouled while he's down there? I don't know if if the player on the floor called timeout or not. You know, you can open it up and you can watch it on on TV and see the players around him are calling it, but you don't see a referee looking at him because they're concentrating on that area of the ball. Like I said, the officials are away from it cannot award that timeout because what if that ball is rolling? They can't even see in there because all the players are in there. It's a hard situation to be in. It's easy to do when you watch it yeah. on TV. It's very, very easy. But in that situation, I mean, it, it was, what, five seconds total? Maybe four, three total? I mean, you, you have to worry about what is presented in front of you and somebody's beside you you don't know if it's the other team calling time you don't know if it's florida atlanta kid calling time out and if you look and the kid gets hit down on the ground then you're you're in more trouble than you are without giving them a timeout so when you know when you go into that situation and essentially what you described brian was a blind spot in officiating because the official has to focus on the ball and focus on the action of the ball and the players on the ground but you said the other officials can't award that timeout. So are we missing something there? Should there be the ability for an official to run in while that one official is looking at the ball for another official to come in and, and see that the guy's clearly calling timeout or to be, you know, by Penny Hardaway? Is there a blind spot that we can adjust as we move forward? I don't know that there is because uh, what happens if the ball squirts out and you're coming in? The kid throws the ball. I mean, how many times have we seen the guys get rid of the ball and then a fast break start? You know, I just, I just think that's a play that you take as you, as you see it in live action. And I think we, ninety percent of the time, I think we do a really good job on on that play. Um, it's that other time. You know, it used to be. You know, coaches can call timeout in the last two minutes. We got burned on it when coaches could call timeout all of the time because. We'd award a timeout and the ball's being passed and yeah. then it's stolen. 
you know, we had a play happen in the ACC uh, a few years back. It was a play at midcourt uh, where they got a trap going on, and we awarded timeout. And as soon as we blow the whistle, of course, the other team's got the ball and's heading the other way. So, I mean, those situations are are situations that are, you know, at that moment. And you have to take it as you see it in live action. And these guys have to react. And as soon as you react, as soon as you blow your whistle, you know, and somebody else has the ball, then it's magnified even worse. This is magnified the other way. So, I mean, it's just, it's just a, it's a very, very hard play. So going off of a, a, you know, a tough decision, like we just talked about, I'm going to make it not easier for us to have the next conversation. (laughs) And so I apologize in advance. That's the difference between a a, a blocking foul and a charge. I feel like, you know, people have fought on this forever. Fans in the stands, you know, react to this all the time. But there's been the reality of the check by an offensive player to kind of bump, you know, put that elbow out, put put the arm out and kind of push somebody off of them to create some separation. And, you know, they're creating the contact. And there's been there's been times where the defender, it, you know, the official seeing that contact and saying, oh, okay, that's a blocking foul because here's the contact, but the contact was initiated by the offensive, offensive player trying to create space. How difficult is it to go between the offensive to defensive foul, the block charge, and how have we evolved in that world, in your opinion? Uh, that is probably a million-dollar question. <laughs> uh, I think fans think we probably get it uh, wrong. Uh, from a coordinator's standpoint, I think we've gotten better at it because uh, we're now we allow the guy that's the, in the lead position, which is the guy on the baseline, to be in charge of secondary defenders and you have to understand so we've got a restricted area you got secondary defenders you got primary defenders you got guys now our game has evolved to a paint cuts dish out play we've got guys that are bigger and stronger like the kid last night from look at the kid last night from kansas state i mean that kid goes to the basket gets in the paint had 19 assists i think last night uh, sometimes he shoots it, sometimes he lets it go. So people also don't understand that that restricted area does not apply to primary defenders. So you may have a big guy guarding a big guy down there, and he gets run over. We call it a charging foul, and everybody points to the restricted area. Well, it didn't matter to him at that point. It doesn't matter on rebounds. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. That these, Our rule has gone from you know a paragraph to a page, to a page and a half. And we're getting better at it. Uh, it's a 50-50 play a lot of times. Uh, these kids are so fast. These kids can stop on dimes. There's, you know, the, the, you got the flop in there now. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. But I, I, I think, my personal opinion, we've gotten a lot better at it. Um, but we still got a ways to go. And these kids are not getting any slower. <laughs> They're not getting any weaker. The kid from Kansas State. Is a tremendous play. I've watched him. I was in Greensboro last weekend. You know, I was the one that was the coordinator that was there to evaluate those officials. And I watched him firsthand. It's the first time I've ever seen him play. And it's amazing to watch some. And if you watch kids in our league, 
You know, it, it's crazy. The point guard, look at the two guards at, at NC State. Look at Isaiah Wong. Look at Judah Mintz, who was, you know, was at Syracuse. Look at Gerard that was at Syracuse. I mean, it's amazing, you know, what they can do now in the guard position. And uh, they are so daggone quick and and so strong now that they can they can do things that when I was refereeing, you know, some of them, you know, Ty Lawson was the hardest guard I ever had to referee just because he ran the whole game. And, and uh, I mean, it's just, it's amazing to watch what these kids can do. And it's amazing to see the difference in the coaching philosophies that are out there now with paint touches and three-point shots and stuff like that. Because, I mean, Michigan State doesn't get back into the game, really, or stay in the game without a three-point shot last night. And it ends up costing them in the end. You know, and it, and you, you know, you look at that, like you said, you know, you see all the things that go into it and it's the million dollar question, you know, the, the block charge and, and which is it. And, 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 you know, I feel like you can probably go to every single game played every season and, and have a, a call where, you know, people are going to disagree and it's going to be questionable in that world. You said you were getting down in Greensboro and obviously I was with you for the ACC tournament. You stayed there as Greensboro is one of the host cities for the round of 64 and 32. Were there any plays that you take out from from those games in Greensboro where you were tasked to kind of watch the officials and, and watch what was going on? Is there anything that sticks out to you that was a teachable moment or one of the uh, the big officiating moments or two in Greensboro? You know, I, mean, I don't single out any plays – you know, I mean, because of, you know, there's so many, you know, you, you, there's so many games that go on. I have a, a, I keep track of, of whistles that I want to go back and look at, and I go back and look at them. But, you know, to think of individual plays, you know, I, they all run together right now. You know, because I was, I was at the Big South tournament for three days. Then I was at the ACC tournament for, you know, five days, and then I flew from there to Brooklyn for the Atlantic 10 tournament, came back to Greensboro and watched, you know, six games there. So, I mean, I, I think everything, individual plays, I, if you were to bring one up, I would probably think about it, but uh, uh, I can't think of one, well, one specific play right off. Let me ask you this about Gonzaga then here with Brian Kersey the ACC coordinator of men's basketball officiating on wake-up call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios. Gonzaga has been the comeback team, right? This is what they do. They're down by 14, doesn't matter, you know? And and, and this, is, this is a team that has found a way. I got to interview the guys last night. Absolutely incredible team. Love the coach. Mark, been a fan of Mark Few for many, many years. As an official, when these games – are so close with a team like Gonzaga. Cause I know you said not a specific play, but let's talk about a team coming back. You gotta be really, I mean, cause you could feel the momentum shifting. You can feel, you know, some things happening when, when, when these games are getting close and it's not just Gonzaga, but I bring them up cause they've, they've come back in a bunch of games, but there's teams when they're making those runs and they're coming back, there's certain fouls that are called where, you know, games can get a whole lot closer. How, do you think that there is emotion that goes into it? Have you seen officials get lost in the mix of this at times? 
when when a team is making a run, the momentum is shifting, the room is shifting. How difficult is it to call down the stretch when a team is coming back and knowing that if you call a foul, that these free throws could be the difference in a team having a lead, the other team taking the lead, a tie game, because a lot of these games that have come down to the wire, it's it's do you call the foul, do you not call the foul? And so that Gonzaga comes up to me because, you know, Gonzaga in these last two games especially have made these runs and they've gotten on the line for part of it. Well, I think that, I mean, I think if you look at, I tell referees all the time at halftime, you know, when I'm, when I, if I'm in the locker room or, 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 or if I'm teaching, having a teaching moment at a camp or something like that, if you go into a game that's a 13, 15 point game at halftime, nine times out of 10, the first four minutes will dictate how the second half is going to go. And one of the two teams is going to make a run. Either it's going to be over with by, by 16 minutes or have a very good chance of being over with by 16 minutes, or it's going to be a five point game. And I think that's what we have seen with Gonzaga. I think, uh, you know, you have close games that that start the second half the exact same way. I think referees live for that moment. I think every referee wants games like the Gonzaga-UCLA game last night. And every Gonzaga-UCLA game that's been played probably for the past five years in this tournament. If you look at the greatest game ever was, what, 2021, you know, when they played in the national semifinal. Yeah, and and I'm not the great, you know. I'm, I'm sure Christian Leitner and in, in the Kentucky game years ago, but I mean, if you yeah. think about that game, it's all these games are games of runs, and I think that that referees get put in a situation where you have to be refereeing at a very high level. You know, I, I don't think Gonzaga missed free throws. You know, they missed what three of the last four, four of the last six. Yeah. whatever it was uh, in that game last night. And I think if you probably look, I'll always look at offensive rebounds. I mean, look at offensive rebounds in a game, games that are have a, a variety, you know, different uh, uh, free throw margins in games. And you look at somebody and they've got five offensive rebounds in a game or four offensive rebounds in a game. That usually means that there's a, a, a discrepancy maybe in free throws. And I think when you had that, I think everybody last night thought Drew Timmy was going to take the last shot. And there was no doubt in my mind uh, as they were playing it and they started to come up the floor with the pace that they came up the floor in that something was going to happen quick, and it did. And, you know, kids still have to make shots. Referees have to make decisions. And, you know, they say all the time, referees don't be the, the reason that the, the game is decided. Well, you know, sometimes fouls decide games. Sometimes, you know, somebody gets away from somebody. And, you know, last night was a prime example of a team that that dominated rebounding. Yeah. I think I think Gonzaga dominated. I don't know what the, the difference was, uh, but I can guarantee you that they probably got twice as many offensive rebounds, which creates you think about rebounds, they're congested, congested plays at the basket that either go right back up or get dished out to a guard who either shoots it or, or he takes it to the basket and does something with it. And I think that, you know, I don't think people look at that. I look at that's a huge statistic in, in my mind is rebounding and offensive rebounds, especially. 
Yeah, you know, and you look at it, you made mention of it. Gonzaga had 16 offensive rebounds last night to seven UCLA. So, you know, out-rebounded them heavily, almost double. And, you know, and and it's got me thinking this conversation being, and before I let you go, Brian, because I know you've given us a, a ton of information. I appreciate it so much. Yeah. I had a game this year that had 91 rebounds in the game. 91 total rebounds in the game. Yeah. Games like that are impossible to officiate. That's 91 missed shots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I, and, and so I'm going to bring you, I'm going to bring you to a game last night. Now, granted, FAU was up by multiple possessions. So they were up, but Tennessee, go back and, you know, and I'm sure you have. But you go back and you watch that game. I saw at least two Tennessee players travel. I I mean, I, I saw a ton of things. I saw travels. I saw, you know, and and when Tennessee had the ball and they jumped up in the air to get the offensive rebound and punched it back, the Tennessee player punched it over the line. The Tennessee player went and got it. That's over the back and over and back. And so no over back call was – it's not over and back? Down back to think of Virginia. Think okay. Of Virginia when they got to the national championship against Purdue. Okay. Okay. Because this you is where you can the backboard. Yeah. And you can go get it. There's no possession. Still, you can tap it all the way back there. And you get 30 seconds. You catch it in the backcourt. So you get to come back up. That's not that's not backcourt. Okay. Because that's one where I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, okay, ball came off the rim, Tennessee player hits it with his hand, punches it back. And Tennessee player goes to chase it down. In my head, I'm going, I'm not 100 percent sure what this is. But it looked like it looked like the officials were kind of just like, let them play, let them play. Because I did see what looked to be potentially some traveling. And but they were letting them kind of just get the shots up, get the shots up and go. Do you think at the end of the game when a team is up by nine or up by seven or something like that, is there a reality that officials will maybe be a little bit more loose on those final 15 seconds or 12 seconds, because it seemed like Tennessee potentially could have gotten called for a travel or two, but nothing was called as they got up like three or four shots. Is, is there a reality that sometimes at the end of the game, when it's not a one possession game, that there's a more looser whistle? I don't think we get looser at all. I think that plays happen. People have to understand you can lift the pivot foot, but you don't travel until it comes back down. You know, if you think of a layup, think of a layup, you take your first step down is your is your pivot foot and you lift it, you know, to, to take the layup. So I think that yeah. people come through the lane and then that happens and the foot doesn't come back down. Everybody thinks he traveled because that foot comes back up. But I don't think we get looser. I think we get more zoned in. I think referees don't want to be wrong. They cannot win in any situation because of the media that we have and the, the uh, TV exposure that we have. So so I don't think we get looser at all in those moments. I'm learning so much from you. I may disagree. No, no. And, I, and listen, I appreciate it. I bring it up because I'm seeing it through my eyes with no dog in the race saying, okay, this is, this is what I'm seeing. Tell me if I'm right or wrong because – I think what people, I think the reason why there's a demise in society is that people are not willing to say their opinion and be wrong. 
I'm always willing to learn. You know, I just said to you, Hey, I thought this was over and back. You said it's not, but you taught me something, Brian. And I'm, I, you know, I, I think if you stop learning and you stop growing, if you're that old dog that doesn't learn new tricks, then that's where society gets pretty bad. And that's something that we discuss every week with all of our officials is when the moment comes, you got to teach, you got to learn, you got to help somebody every single game you go out there. And, you know, we put a lot of new referees in games. You know, you see some faces you don't see. You saw them at the tournament. Jamel Spearman is a prime example of somebody that's been in my system, you know, since I got the job. You know, and this year was his first ACC. Jeff Pond, who's from Florida, you know, was another one. Justin Porterfield, I can, people, y'all know Roger, y'all know Teddy, y'all know Ron Groover, y'all know Lee Cassell, Bert Smith, Jamie Lucky, everybody knows them. But then you get these other guys that come in there because they have fought through our system. Our alliance is is so good at training less experienced officials to get them ready for the moment. Last night was AJ Desai's first game in the NCAA regionals, and he had the Florida Atlantic game last night and did a tremendous job. But you have to get them ready for that moment so that, when they get out there, they're prepared and it does not ruin their career. Yeah. You know, and, and, and like you said, I mean, all these teachable moments in, in this growth in this learning, it is there when you said you got to be ready for the moment before I let you go here, two final pieces. One of them is, is why, you know, like you, I don't think people know that Brian Kersey is, is Santa Claus in, in a way. And we'll talk about that in a second. Cause I don't think that he thought, that I saw it, but I saw it. And it was a beautiful thing that he did. And it shows me, we talk about the demise of society. There's also the uplifting of society. And, and Brian was a true example of that. And I can appreciate it. So before we go there, is there a more difficult call? And you can, and, and you can argue yes or no, whatever you want to say, but at the end of the game, in a one possession game, it's three points, it's one point, it's two, whatever it may be toward the end of the game, 12 seconds on the clock, Teams up by one, ball goes out of bounds. We got to figure out whose fingernail touched it. Is there a more difficult call at the end of the game for an officiating crew than who has possession of the ball in a one possession game? I don't think so. I don't think that. And look at the three point shot last night that the kid from Kansas State took that went off of the kid's fingertips. Yeah. Ended up coming up short and going out of bounds. That right there is a perfect example of plays like that. In the uh, Florida Atlantic game at midcourt, when the ball went off of one guy's leg and and then bounced out of bounds and then get hit the other player's leg with like four seconds left last night. Yeah, that they're impossible. They're so hard live. The crazy thing is, we got both of those correct. And the replay showed we got it correct. But out of bounds, I think all line plays are hard. And out of bounds is a line play. And restricted area, line play. Three-point jump shot fouls are line plays. And I, and I think that our concentration has to be up and escalated on all of those plays. No, I couldn't agree more. And, and you brought up the plays I was thinking about. And – so, you know, definitely from last night. And and so now with the Santa Claus part of things, Brian, you know, you you pick somebody in the stand there and and we know and, and this is I want to say something about Greensboro, and I'm sure you can appreciate this too. Greensboro, you know, because I know the ACC tournament's been in Charlotte. I've been there 
It's been in Washington, D.C. It's been in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center. So I know what it's like to be in these four locations. I love Greensboro. I am on record of saying repeatedly I love it. Why? Because I think the people at the airport are nice, because I think that the community is nice, because the food is good, because y'all have Zaxby's and we don't, because, you know, and, and, and there's so many great things about Greensboro. I love that I can pull up to the arena park and walk a couple steps and go right inside. It's got a small town feel to it, even though it's a great arena. It's, it's just a beautiful atmosphere. There's not crazy traffic, even though there's a lot of people there. There's open roads. There's nice weather. And on top of all of that, I would argue that Greensboro has the best snacks of any tournament that I've, that I've been to. So you not only got the best snacks, but you were paying it forward and, help, and making sure this, this kid was fed and that his dad didn't have to spend crazy money. Why, why are you the way that you are and why do you do the things that you do? Because I saw a pay it forward kindness that I'm not surprised in you, Brian. But when I saw it, you know, yeah, most people are paying attention to the game. I was paying attention to those conversations and those moments of saying, all right, this is what you had in the first half. What do you want for the second half? This is what we got in the back. Why are you the way that you are? You know, I'm a, and we've had this discussion numerous times. I'm a stickler for kids. You know, I love my two granddaughters more than I love my own life. These kids are, are everything. And, 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 and the young man that, that was sitting, you know, behind us uh, at the tournament, his eyes were lit up just yeah. because he was there. It's a moment with his dad that he'll never forget. And uh, I didn't want him to, to, to miss anything. So um, I saw him sitting there. I sugared him up, you know, I brought him, <laughs> I brought him a uh, Snickers bar. I asked him what he, he wanted chips. He, he didn't want, he wanted Gatorade. I think he had three different Gatorades. If you remember, he had a ring around his, his mouth <laughs> of different colored Gatorades. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the great thing is I got a, uh, uh, a great email from his dad. Uh, he's, and, and he just took a chance that it was my email address and, because mine's not posted out there yeah. anywhere. So he just took a chance using initials that it was mine. And, and he sent me an unbelievable, he probably, the, 